This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. This episode of This Week in HPC is brought to you by DDN, delivering faster insights with flexible storage solutions. DDN, intelligent infrastructure for a changing world. Visit ddn.com. Another exascale win for AMD. Highlights from the Rice Oil and Gas Conference. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research and distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Tiffany Trader. And This Week in HPC, Tiffany, the biggest news of the week came in a special press conference hosted by HPE, AMD, and Lawrence Livermore National Labs as they announced that the pending El Capitan supercomputer, which will be the largest of the planned USX scale supercomputers at over two peak exaflops of performance, although we're yet to see what the uh, what the delivered performance is on Linpack or anything else. But that El Capitan supercomputer is now committed to AMD architecture for the processor nodes. Right. So I know, um, you know, I know at Oak Ridge, they're looking to hit at least a 75% Limpack efficiency. So that could put them around 1.5 Limpack. Um, but at that two peak double precision performance that they announced would be a 30% increase over the original spec that we learned when they first uh, announced the system. Um, and of course, when they first made that announcement, the, the choice of the AMD processor technology had not been made at, at that time. Uh, but we now know this uh, $600 million El Capitan system, uh, which uses the Cray-Shasta Cray archi- architecture, will be based on the 5 nanometer Genoa Epic CPU uh, tied to the Radeon uh, GPUs. So this is another AMD plus AMD system win in AMD parlance. That's an A plus A system, uh, as is the one that they have at Oak Ridge with Frontier. Right, and this is the Zen 4 generation of Epic going to Genoa and the, some sort of uh, next generation Radeon GPU. And, uh, of course, these are connected now over the AMD Infinity Fabric, which they've been advertising as having coherency between the CPU and the GPU. And we're going to come back to that bullet point a little later on. This is a, a really big announcement and a big win for AMD. It has some implications. It's not only a major win for AMD, but it now officially shuts out NVIDIA from the top uh, architectures for Exascale going across these major U.S. procurements. And still, worldwide, out of all of the planned Exascale systems in the U.S., Europe, China, Japan, there's only one that's uh, based on Intel architectures that's planned right now, and that's still the Aurora system going in at Argonne. You know, this also ties to the fact now that uh, there, of the three exascale contracts that are out there, um, also NERSC, all of these are are heterogeneous. Um, so there's uh, there's two the two AMD plus AMD systems. There's one Intel plus Intel system. That's of course Aurora. That's a, a Intel um, Sapphire Rapids 10 nanometer plus plus with their XE GPU. And then there's one um, AMD plus uh, NVIDIA system, not one of the Exascale ones, but the one at uh, NERSC with Perlmutter is a, is a, uh, will be a Cray system. Yeah, a, a real diversity of architectures here. And I think the key factor in AMD getting the win for El Capitan is that AMD is essentially the first to market with integrated CPU and GPU into that uh, single integrated uh, Infinity Fabric. Right, the Infinity Fabric with the, the coherent... Uh, coherent shared memory 
and I think I think that was a big differentiator for them winning this contract. Exactly. Now, during the Q&A at the press conference, another interesting fact came out. Uh, we're interested in how much of El Capitan would be essentially for the national interests. As Lawrence Livermore Labs director Bill Goldstein put it, we're now going into the fourth decade without explosive nuclear testing. And this is an NNSA system where one of the, the real um, – uh, major workloads is to do these nuclear explosion simulations and and take care of the stewardship of the U.S. nuclear stockpile. They confirmed that El Capitan itself is going to be reserved for classified national interests, all of it. And when asked about general science codes for, for the more borderless scientific community out there, here was a piece of new news that wasn't even in the press release. But uh, Bill Goldstein, as well as Terry Quinn, who's the director of uh, Computing there at LLNL said that there's going to be a second clone system that's the same architecture as El Capitan, as yet unnamed. It's not as large, but that second system is apparently going to be larger than the current number one on the top 500 list, the Summit system at Oak Ridge. So certainly not inconsiderable having a, another second open science system, same configuration that's, uh, that's now an open science system at Livermore. Yeah, it's an interesting way to do it. It's just amazing now that their their side system is going to be bigger than the, you know, one of the, the current largest system in the world. So we'll definitely be watching and waiting for more more details on that, as will everyone else. Um, I think it bears uh, mentioning too just a couple other specs about El Capitan. Of course, it's going to be liquid cooled and it's going to have an energy budget of between 30 to 40 megawatts, with the expectation that they will get closer to 30 megawatts, which is just which is very impressive. It's a big uptick in energy efficiency. It's something that I'm going to be exploring more. It also uses the the slingshot, the slingshot uh, craze, uh, eighth generation slingshot interconnect, um, and the uh, the storage system on there is HPE's new cluster store E1000 system. They're projecting that this will be the largest system in the world, or I should say the most powerful supercomputer in the world when it's installed in 2023. Now, not all of that is under their control, of course. What that really means is they're projecting that it'll be the largest DOE system, of course, uh, in the U.S. And the real dark horse here is what goes on in China. We've reported previously on This Week in HPC, as you have in HPC Wire, that there are allegedly two systems in China currently that are more powerful than the summit system at Oak Ridge National Labs and where China, where we extrapolate, they'll be uh, by the time El Capitan is is uh, laid down. Well, uh, we don't know that for sure, and we don't know whether that'll be a publicly known system on the top 500 list. But at the very least, as far as publicly known systems, they're now saying El Capitan will be the most powerful in the world when it's installed. Yeah, that's right. And always um, important to, you know, remember who know, who knows what else is out there or could be coming coming uh, down the, the pipeline. One, one last thing on this, on the, the node design. Now, I don't think a lot was revealed about the node design. Not during this press conference, no. They weren't really getting into that level of detail with the general press and analysts who were there. Although AMD did follow this up with a, a financial analyst day the next day, and I understand there were some additional disclosures that came from that. Well, the reason I asked about, I, I didn't think they revealed much information yet about the no design, but one of the disclosures in this investor uh, meeting that they held was on the third generation Infinity Fabric, which has this shared memory between, offers a shared memory between the CPU and the GPU. Now that will support up to eight-way GPU 
coherent connectivity. Uh, and also they said, we'll make things easier to program. But I don't know if that gives us any clue into, into what the design will look like, but I thought that that was worth mentioning. And then as far as other disclosures they made, we, I mentioned one of them at the top, which is that Zen 4 will be on, on five nanometer, widely expected, but it hadn't been publicly disclosed. And then they off they uh, disclosed on this new a new HPC server GPU architecture called CDNA. They're, so they're splitting the, the architecture design from the, the gaming consumer side and the server side, and this will be CDNA, uh, and it works with the, the Infinity architecture. And then they also showed some new packaging as well uh, called X3D, X3D packaging. That shared memory in particular is an interesting data point for me. I, of course, have some heritage in shared memory myself, going back to early in my HPC career at SGI when the shared memory NUMA architectures were the point of differentiation. The fact that we're now using the term shared memory in this AMD CPU plus GPU with Infinity Fabric, that is new. They've been talking about coherency for a while, but it was only this week uh, at first at the Rice University Oil and Gas Conference where you and I both were that Brad McCready of AMD confirmed that that would be a shared memory implementation. And now that's been followed up with in this uh, financial conference call. So Brad might have leaked that out to me uh, two days in advance. But nevertheless, that's now been disclosed that it's a shared memory package. I think that will potentially really change the programming of the GPUs to be able to address the same memory space within the CPU and GPU envelope. We'll need to see what the latency characteristics of that are. But to have a single data space, a single kernel across both of those, I, I think that is uh, uh, pretty interesting in terms of how that's programmed. Now, I mentioned that also this week in HPC, we started the week in Houston. You and I were both at Rice University for certainly my favorite domain-specific HPC event that's on the calendar over the course of the year. I like when we can get down to a specific application, in this case, uh, uh, looking at oil and gas applications in particular, seismic processing, reverse time migration, the, a lot of sub-salt modeling. We heard about reservoir simulation. Lots of great information going on at this conference. What were some of the highlights of it for you? You know, this was a really, it's always a great event. It was another great, great, great year for this conference. There was strong attendance despite the global health situation. 610 people registered and, you know, well, well, that wasn't the final number. It's definitely the, the rooms were full. It was very robust and a lot of uh, vibrant uh, discussions were had. Uh, we all did the, we all did the Vulcan salute and the elbow shake and um, it was, uh, that was fun. Um so I think, you know, I think one that we both really liked was uh, Ron Cogswell from Shell. I'd say um, he was something of a, of a crowd favorite, although all the speakers were, were great in the, in the track that, that I was a part of. But he shared a lot of the benchmarking that's been done at Shell, specifically comparing Skylake as well as Naples, uh, the last gen Epic, and then the current gen Epic Rome, as well as the Cascade Lake AP, Intel's, Intel's um, high-end Xenon. Dion part. And, um, you know, not going through all the specifics, but Naples was impressive uh, in many of the results. And then Ron also said that the uh, memory, as you can imagine, you know, the memory bandwidth is critical for their, their most important algorithms, uh, reverse time migration and RTM and FWI. And that Cascade Lake AP has a lot of memory bandwidth and channels, which is good, a good and offers a good response um, for those for those algorithms. Uh, and then he also said that Rome's, um, you know, while Rome's increased cores make up for uh, some somewhat less bandwidth, um, they have found uh, really good thermal 
uh, thermal envelope and rack density with ROM um, and better, better and, and for ROM. So, and, and then he also mentioned something uh, that I oh, think a lot of people know that in seismic, um, you know, it's mostly single precision. So, you know, with the right architecture, you can, you can get a huge increase in the number of flops you're, you're getting and, and really leverage, leverage, um, some of the features of the processors in that way. Yeah, I agree. I think that was my favorite individual presentation of the of the entire two days. Very practical to get a neutral end user saying, yeah, we're evaluating all of these processor elements and here are some of our benchmarks. Now, this is for us and for our application. Someone else with a different application, different workload might see something different, but I don't think we see enough of this neutral benchmarking and to, and to get these actual results for their real world applications, I think was important. Important. We both really liked that one. BP also had a good presentation. Uh, they discussed the transition from air cooling over to liquid cooling uh, with an HPE solution. And then they, they, they made some disclosures around a Cascade Lake AP system as well that they, um, you know, that they're having good, good results on. Uh, Chevron was there. Chevron's, Chevron's uh, Jeffrey Nilon was there. Jeffrey Nilon was there uh, revealing some of the things they're doing in the cloud with the new Azure HPV2 systems. I think they're getting some, seeing some pretty high, high scalability um, with the cloud. In fact, there was a lot of discussion uh, around the work that's being done in the cloud and, and how they're making it, um, you know, how they're supporting scalability. So there's a lot, there's a lot of active engagement among seems like among all of the major oil and gas companies uh, with, with Amazon Web Services and with Microsoft Azure. I think one other important thing that really came across at the uh, Rice Oil and Gas HPC conference was how much they make it a community event. And for me, another really interesting presentation was delivered by Gabby Rowe, who's the executive director of something pending called the ION. And she it's, it's a... It's a huh something pending called the ION, which is an upcoming tech innovation incubator center for collaboration and small companies. She laid out a really interesting mission statement for Houston, talking about it's got this really diverse community. It's got a long heritage in tech and engineering and, and economics. But as much as they've got a really high proportion of advanced degrees, and she claimed the uh, greatest concentration of engineers per capita in the United States that they're losing a lot of talent out to the coast and they want to revitalize Houston as a as a forward-looking part of this new high-tech economy and that's the role of the ion they want to be able to attract and retain a lot of uh, tech, uh, technical talent in Houston. I thought it was just a really interesting presentation and particularly to have it in this setting for oil and gas and HPC and say, hey, let's solve these problems right here in Houston. Right. And Jan Odegaard, who has been running Rice Oil and Gas, he is actually moving over to the leadership team at ION. It was a really good talk from Gabby, uh, she just she told us all about this new cutting edge tech innovation and incubation center. It's this very modern six level center that's going in into their old Sears building there in Houston. And, and of course, you know Sears was a disruptor of its day. Anything that you wanted in the Sears catalog, you could get delivered, including a house. And then uh, Gabby also re reminded us that. Uh, Houston is the largest medical has the largest medical complex in the world, and the second largest is in Beijing. 
So I thought that that was um, really good. And you asked an interesting, you asked a good question. You asked her what would be a 10-year success for ION. I did. And, and what she really wants to see is that more of that talent is then staying in Houston. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're day one is they'd like people to show up. But, but what will really start measuring that success is if they're attracting that talent and feel like they can start capturing progress. Uh, it, it really uh, hit Houston when they didn't make even the short list for the new Amazon headquarters. Uh, she said that was largely due to infrastructure, and I think they're really looking at how they can build that for Houston moving forward. So overall, a great conference, as it usually is at Rice University. I look forward to going to that one every year. I will say that as we've seen more conferences like Open Compute Project Summit this week and the upcoming GTC at the end of the month all, turning to virtual events, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people talking about, oh, it's good, we shouldn't have to travel. I agree with these decisions in the short term. But in the in the longer term, I like going to these conferences, and I often find that by being there in person, it's the unexpected hallway conversations or over lunch that I have that I, I hadn't been looking for that wind up being some of the most valuable things to me. And this, this community event at Rice certainly fits the bill. I go not only for what I know I'm going to see in the talks, but the people that I see there uh, really uh, helps advance me as, in my role as an analyst. I, I agree 100%. You know, I'm really glad that in the situation going on right now that some of these events that have had to be canceled have, you know, are able to do things in a virtual venue, but just there's really no substitute substitute for meeting face-to-face, and it's just very engaging, and there's a lot of energy, and um, yeah, it's very good to do, to do that as well. Although I will give a, a, a props to Rice because they had, uh, they had to bring uh, Brad McCready from AMD, they brought him over uh, through the virtual stream, and that went that went off so well. And it's one of the best uh, streamed present present presentations I've ever seen. So I think as the technology will gets better, uh, you know, we joke that we can we can we could send a person to the moon, but we you know we can't uh, stream somebody 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 in without a hitch. Well, this went off without a hitch, and so it's good to see the technology is advancing there. Kudos to them. Yeah, well done. And our listeners can get more details. You can see a lot of pictures from the slides of the various events on my Twitter feed, at Addison Snell or at Intersect360. And, of course, there's a lot more details in the articles on HPC Wire. Thanks a lot, Tiffany, for joining me again, and thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.